This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have you all here today. What a nice, what a nice crowd. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome especially to all the first-time attendees here. I know we have, we have some of you already had a chance to meet you. I hope you have a chance to come up, say hi to me after church as well. Again, great to have you here. So starting point, it's been a fun series. We got a good kickoff last week. And it's based on this very simple, basic premise. For many, our faith framework did not make it through the challenges of adult life. So we are searching for a new starting point of adult faith. And we're going to be doing that by looking at a number of different parts. Last week was the overview. This week, we're looking at being the A student. Next week, perplexity. Then CPR. Then week five, paying attention to different things. This week, the A student. Now, the general sort of flow of this series is is I want to talk about how I think, for many of us, our faith life goes. We're kind of in the boat, we're doing our life thing, and then the storms arise, things don't quite work out, and we finally get up the courage to maybe step out of the boat listening to a call from God. We start to walk, and that initial walk of faith is good. It's not bad, it's not wrong. And it reaches its limit. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. What's it like when we finally reach that limit? And then a new faith can be born out of that, and then we return to the boat again. But a new person. That's the general thrust of this series. Now to get us started, I want to read for you a passage from the Bible that talks just about that. Now for those of you who don't know much about the Bible, that's totally fine. Welcome to New Church Live. The Bible's divided into two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament, the four gospels are about Christ's life, where where the people who are following him write about what his life was like. And it's a story, and there's a number of stories about him walking on the water. And that theme of water that comes up again and again and again. So I want to read the whole story for you, and then we're going to be pulling this story apart over the next few weeks. This is from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, these disciples, and they're sitting in a boat out in the water. And for the kids here, you know, they were unable to get back to shore. So you have to think of this like a big storm and how scary that would be to be in a small little sailboat stuck way out in a lake, unable to get back to shore. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Peter was one of the people who, uh, who followed him from the new church. We believe Peter's really representative of our faith, pictures our faith. Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, Jesus and him, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Those are beautiful lines there. They're talking about the way I think that this, that this kind of flows for us, you know, that, that, our, that, our, that our, our life of faith goes. And so much of it is where we struggle to, to actually that initial part as we're in the boat, that, that struggle, that initial part of, well, do I listen or not? 
because we wrestle, I think, if you're like me, with the whole concept of rules, the whole concept of listening to something outside of ourselves. Now, to get us warmed up, I want to throw a question up here for you folks, and the online audience is welcome to text this in as well. I just want you to give me your first initial response. You're welcome to share this with somebody or to text it in. When I say rules, what do you think? All right, when I say rules, what do you think? And we're going to get a wide variety of answers here. So please take 60 seconds and answer that. Um, I'll tell you the answer's coming in here. Uh, different pieces, which were, let me see, get back here. Obey, lack of freedom of thought, uh, the rules that Jesus and God made, and all uh, male priesthood and other made truths. Rules, I must follow them. Setting limits, how to play a game, Rebellion, that's a good one. Instructions, uh, uh, God, guidelines, people trying to control me, my wife, Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying who wrote that one, Dean Fiadino. Um, find the loop, what? Uh, find the loopholes, guidelines that must be followed or else doesn't let us do stuff we want to do, keeps us from what we think we should be doing. Um, what exactly do rules mean? Senseless, take away my phone and privileges. That's good. <laughs> ah, that must have been in front of my kids. Uh, order or control, games, uh, big trouble if I do not follow them. Braces on my brain, that's a good one. You telling me what to think and that I don't need to think. Guidelines, uh, <laughs> laugh out loud. When you say rules, I say, oh, and you guys can fill in the last blank. Uh, order, constraints, you must follow, doing the right thing. Yuck, Chuck. Restriction. <laughs> this congregation is in deep trouble. You know, so, so we can see, like, rules, like, how do we hold them? And, and that whole idea of getting out of the boat and, like, you know, following God. And, and you know, when we have this conflicted of you about rules, what do we do? Because I think in both of our brains, there's, there's these two parts, right? I was, I was talking with, with one couple and, and they were smiling saying, we had two different answers, rule follower, rule breaker, which is why your souls find each other because it's that balance. But do you see how that can make it very hard to just get out of the boat? To actually maybe listen to something outside of yourself, moving away from being self-referential all the time into an idea of rules that may be a lot healthier. That's where we're talking about in this service. So to get started with this conversation of starting point, I want to really start with what I think is the starting, 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 starting point of new church theology. And it's this. The inner self, I'm going to have you say the N word. The inner self contains but good impulses and true concepts. Contains nothing but good impulses and true concepts, which are God's. It is our heavenly and spiritual being. It is angelic life. Listen carefully. A part of you is always tethered to heaven. There's no such thing as original sin. It all has to start with original blessing. Now, do we get off track in sin? Absolutely. But you have to think of this as the starting point. And I, and I think of it like a kite, you know, uh, you have the kite and you have the string and that string is always grounded in heaven. We can forget it. We can move away from it. We can ignore it. We can actually abuse that part of ourselves. We can shove it down. We can almost kill it. 
but like a bulb in spring, it's still underneath the ground there somewhere. A key starting point, I think, for understanding how, how, how this all starts, the starting point all starts. And what God wants to do is God, like that little bulb that's underneath the frozen ground, God wants to see that come to life. And that's, that's why I think we're here on the planet. You know, that age-old thing, I say it again and again. Why did God create you? Because he thought you would enjoy it. So you actually get to enjoy this process. Now, parts of it are really painfully hard, granted. But he knows that, that, that through this, we can have this really meaningful, rich journey into life. Into life. And sometimes that shows up in strange ways. I want to share with you now a video from Frank Mink from the last time he was with us. It's him talking about his starting point. Now, Frank, at this time, and, and he may repeat this story. I kind of hope he does next week when he's here. Uh, he had been a neo-Nazi skinhead, was considered one of the leaders of the skinhead movement in Pennsylvania. He's a Philly boy. Uh, and he, he served time in jail. And, uh, you know, he's all tattooed up. He's got skinhead across his knuckles. Big, big swastika on the side of his neck. He's wearing Doc Martens. He's got a shaved head. All the, all the different paraphernalia of a skinhead. So he finally gets released from jail after serving time for kidnapping. And he has this, this life-altering experience with a Jewish antique dealer who lives very close to her, a Jewish antique dealer by the name of Keith. And Keith pulls him out to see life in a different way. Now, now, now New Church theology, what we believe is, is God, God has unimaginably large number of ways that he gets to us. But he's going to get to us. So I want you to look at this clip. And, and here it is, Frank just starts working with this Jewish antique dealer named Keith. And, and see how this Jewish antique dealer named Keith gets to Frank and helps him to get out of the boat helps them to start thinking about a new starting point. Take a look at this clip. What do I do? And I said, I do nothing because I have a swastika on my neck. I have no career options here. And he goes, well, why don't you come work for me? So I go and I go work for this Jewish guy. Again, not religiously Jewish, just definitely East Coast, Upper East Coast, just Jewish guy. And um, I would be in a truck a lot with him. We'd drive up and down the Jersey Turnpike, you know, getting furniture to get refinished to put into his stores. We had a store in the Cherry Hill Mall. Um, we had stores in a couple different malls here and there called Keith's Antiques. And so I would work for this guy, and we would go get the furniture, and we had all these guys in the warehouse that would finish and unfin refinish and fix the furniture. And a lot of times I'm in a truck with them. See, and I used to do this thing, and you'll hear this from, from other kids that are like me, that are, that are tough kids that maybe had tough home lives. or uh, I'm an egomaniac of low self-esteem. So when I break something, and when you, these kids break something, you always hear this, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, that's so stupid. You're stupid. Everyone's stupid. It's so stupid. I'm so dumb. I used to say that all the time. I don't know why. I just did it. Anytime I made a mistake, instead of owning up to the mistake, I'd say, oh, I'm so stupid. Like, it's so expected of me. I'm so stupid. So one day I broke something. And that's what Keith didn't like. So I break something. And I was like, oh, my God, Keith, I'm so stupid. And he came over to me. And he was kind of a stocky old dude. I'll never, he gripped me by the back of my neck like this, you know, like that. He goes, stop saying you're stupid, you idiot. Let's go. And he grabbed me and he's like, let's go. And I was like, all right. And I grabbed the broken piece of this marble and threw it in the back of our truck. And he'd already paid for it, so he couldn't get his money back. And I get in the truck. And as I get in the truck, like, I'm just kind of quiet and watching the road and 
you know, Jersey Turnpike, Garden State, my butt. You know what I mean? So I'm just looking at the Jersey Turnpike, and he just unloads on me. He's like, you're one of the most smartest people I've ever met. You are so street smart. You can't pay. I can't pay someone to come out of a college. You got in that brain right there, Frank. And as he's doing this, I'm still a neo-Nazi, guys. I'm still shaving my head, still hanging every other couple days with some Nazi dudes doing my thing. And that day, I had my Doc Martens on, my red laces with men. I was a neo-Nazi. And this dude is just sitting there, and he's just like, man, you're one of the most smartest people I've ever met. And I actually secretly believe that about him. Because he's a street-smart guy who made this business out of nothing. So this whole time, I kind of envy him a little bit. And now he's telling me I'm the most smartest person he's ever met. He's like, I hate when you say you're stupid. He's like, you're one of those people that should never say they're stupid. And I'm sitting in this truck with Keith. And Keith is the guy where I could be like, yo, Keith, I want to be an astronaut tomorrow. He'd be like, Frank, you could do it. If anyone could be an astronaut, Frank, it could be you, dude. Let's go to the moon. You know, like he just was always saying that type of stuff to me. And he wasn't trying to change me. Keith is a Philly guy. He doesn't care. As long as I work good and I had good conversation, he wasn't trying to change me. And that's what was working. He was just a human being to me. So when we're driving, oh, I keep looking over at this guy. I had my Doc, like I said, I had my Doc Martens on with my red laces, which doesn't mean we're all racist, you know. But I couldn't put my Doc Martens underneath that seat any further. Like he didn't know. Like, you know, now all of a sudden he doesn't know what that means. But I was like so embarrassed. Like this was my final breaking point. I'm so embarrassed of my beliefs. This swastika has been looking at this guy for six months because we're in a truck and I'm always a passenger, he's always a driver. It's right there every day, a big swastika right in his face. And he treated me with nothing but love and kindness. Is that powerful? Right? Do you see the starting point and how the breaking point come together? Do you think the courage, do you think, Frank, it took some courage to actually get out of the boat? Do you think it's some courage by Keith? And don't you love that line, like, idiot? <laughs> you know, you got to love that. That kind of deep loving kindness, folks, is, is that's what starts to shift things. You can, you can just see this guy starting to get out of the boat. See, this is what God's trying to do. Our journey is allowing God to set that person free. That, that person that was already there, but, but gets lost, gets lost. So when we come back at it, come back after the song. Let's, let's take a look as, as we move through the mystic, like we move through the mystery of this stuff and the cloudiness of this stuff and the cloudiness of our lives. How do we start to just start to take that, that first step of getting out of the boat? So, so this, this piece, like, yeah, and this, and this is fascinating to hear Frank make. And that's why I want you folks to come here and bring people next week. I really want you to do it. And I want you to think about showing up on Monday. You, you know, because I, this guy has a really profound message. He's not even Christian. He's, he, he really is, believes in spirituality and God, but, but Christianity to him, it was a neo-Nazi Christian group. So he's kind of pushed that a little bit to the side. But this is a spiritual guy. He's got a lot to share with us, a lot that we can learn from. And, and I do hope, you know, again, that you can, you can make it again next week and bring someone. Because I think it, it, it speaks to the courage, the courage to do this, 
Lord, if it's you, if it's you that, you know, and notice like, there's nothing wrong with that testing. Like, I don't know if it's you or not. I don't know where this call is coming from. If it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Again, that, that testing, like I need some instructions here. Give me a, give me a, some hint about what direction you'd like me to go. And Christ simply says, come, come to me. Imagine, put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the story. Like here's this ocean and in the waves and the storm. And we've all been there, right? And we kind of hear this voice and it's like, this life ain't working so well. I, I need to do something different. Something needs to shift. I, I need a new starting point. And just imagine how you would get literally how you would get out of the boat. You know, how, how many of us in here grew up skating on ponds? What was the big decision when you were skating on a pond and the, and the winter season was just starting? Yeah, who was the sucker who was going to go out and see if it was okay? And that was my little brother. Oh, you go do it. You know, and that's the way I think of it. Like, like exactly we would step on ice where we're just very gently like, is the ice going to hold me or not? Are the ice going to hold me or not? We've all had that experience. I guarantee some of the first time attendees here today right now are going like, "Uh uh-huh. Pulled in that parking lot. I stepped on that parking lot. Come inside. Are these people going to be nice? Not mean. What's the music going to be like? You know, all those worries that we we tend to have in our lives are are very true. But it's it's such an important part because because God kind of has us pulling through this process that we can witness. And it just takes a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith to just sort of step out. And there's, there's no doubt Peter didn't jump in with two feet. There's no doubt he did it just as I would do it. I'd have one foot in. I'd have two arms, you know, grasping the side of the boat. And I'd be doing this right? Be doing that. Because I'm a scaredy cat. That's exactly the way I'd be handling it. And then I would slowly get that the water actually holds. Now, what's the process that God is up to? Here's a piece from New Church Theology. And I'm going to sort of be filling in some of the words in, in more of our modern language. Within our intellectual self, in other words, within how we hold the world, our, our view of the world, our view of how life works, God forms a new will. And when you think of that, think of a new heart. So, so I have this view of the world and, and, and God wants to keep on like tapping at that, just like what we saw in Frank Ming, tapping at that because he wants this new heart to come out. This new heart to kind of take control, which is conscience. And that's that conscience piece of that starts to get us to see right and wrong very differently. Folks, did you pick up on this? Did you pick up? So you was really paying attention, which you all were, I know. Uh, you know, Frank Mink said, you know, what came to me was that here I am sitting with the swastika and these Doc Martens. And he said, I was sitting beside Frank and I realized I was just so embarrassed. Embarrassed. Is that a good kind of embarrassment? You know, actually, yeah. It's a healthy kind of embarrassment. Like, why? Ah, because he, listen, 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 folks. It means that he had stopped being self-referential. He had stopped thinking about what this swastika meant to him and his group and his identity. And he started thinking, how is Frank, who's driving this van, seeing this? And that led to an embarrassment. You don't want to live in embarrassment. You want to be embarrassed for about 90 seconds and then knock it off already. But that embarrassment isn't bad. That's that pang of conscience. 
And into that conscience, he injects charity. That means loving kindness. God stirs our heart with loving kindness. And into that loving kindness, innocence, innocence in this denomination means a willingness to, a willingness to be led. In other words, ready for this, we are open. We are open. Could we say that together? We are open. And you can see as we just, it just takes that step, that, that little bit of like, I'm going to be a rule follower. I'm going to be the A student just for a minute, <laughs> you know, and, and just actually listen to the rule and just, just kind of like step out of the boat. And beautiful things can start to happen there. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of Anne Lamott, as many of you know. And, and we went to see her, uh, you know, about six weeks ago. And this is what she had to offer. Any freedom I have ever had comes from being disciplined. Now, if you look at Anne Lamott, does Anne Lamott look like a disciplined person? Anybody knows? She's got crazy hair out to here, uh, recovering drug addict, alcoholic, single mom, swears like a sailor. Uh, you know, she's not somebody you would think like, disciplined, what are you talking about? But that kind of discipline that she is talking about is, is the kind of discipline that can be incredibly life-giving and gives us a different sense of the rules. And this was her discipline. Now, this is, this is Chuck's version of it, so this is not exactly what she said. But, but because it's football playoff season, I want you to do this with your hands. Okay? All right? And then this, some people are going to totally, totally mess this up, so you have to help the person beside you when they can't do this. And then just turn it like this. All right? Some people are like, wait, wait, wait. Like this. Okay? What, what she has on her desk to keep her disciplined is a little inch by inch frame with no picture in it. And that's to remind her of discipline. That what she needs to do every day is to sit down, look through that little window, write 1,500 words. Not worry about her cat, her dog, her son, her grandson, but just have this little bit of discipline right there. And then that block can shift over to the next right thing and to the next right thing. See, that's basic core discipline. This quote here by Anne Lamott, notice how it wouldn't work, especially if you've read any of Anne Lamott's stuff. Any freedom I have ever had comes from being rigid. Does that work? Yes, no. No. Not at all. So there's a difference here, folks, that I want to talk about between being rigid and being disciplined. And, and again, if you, have a, if you have a phone and you want to take a picture of this, this is an important one, an important distinction in, in, in your spiritual life. And important for us to get, we're, we're both. I mean, there isn't anybody here who doesn't have a certain part of their life that's rigid and who doesn't have a certain part of their life where they're disciplined. So this is an important distinction to make, and it's important for us to like keep on thinking, yeah, how do I become more disciplined, maybe a little less rigid? The first part with rigid. When we're rigid in our lives, that, those, that means we're entirely inflexible, like inflexible about everything. I, this is really embarrassing. I, I do a lot of the dishes in our household, and the dishwasher must be loaded a certain way. Now, I'm going to have everybody raise your hand and be honest here. How many of you, if someone has loaded the dishes the wrong way, will restack them? Raise your hand. I can't see you, but the internet audience can. You know, right? Is that control? Yes. That's being very rigid. Discipline's slightly different. That means we're inflexible with the ends, but flexible with the means. Like our goal is always the same. 
How we get there will change a great deal. You know, an, an example with this, with this, folks, is I, you know, I, I did a, I did a funeral yesterday. Wonderful funeral for a wonderful man. They've watched online, a man by the name of Alan Smith. Some of you were here, and, and right after he passed away, I asked his, I asked his kids to, to talk. I mean, they're, they're adults. I did his son's wedding just a few months ago. I asked them to bring a, a little artifact that would remind them of their dad, and they could tell me a story about it. So his daughter, Joanna, she brought a newspaper that was folded. Now, way back in the day for the young adults there, there used to be something called paper routes where you would make money and you were making five bucks a week, you were living large. And you'd get up at like 4, 35 o'clock in the morning, you'd fold the newspapers, you throw them, you deliver them, and then you, you collect back. And, and she can remember her dad, like she would have a late night. She was a, a big basketball player and she'd come down late night. It's cold. They live out in Indiana and her dad would be there just fold, 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 just fold in the paper for her. Can you see, you know, like the end there, the goal that he has, he's inflexible about it. It gets to that second one, conviction as principle. It's conviction as principle. Like he clearly has a conviction that he's going to show up for his kids again and again as he showed up for many people through his life. You know, that's, that's clear conviction when you're doing that. And, and she, by the way, said her dad never took any money, including when the big holiday tips came in. You know, he let her have the whole thing. That's very different from someone who's rigid where it's a little play on words where instead of conviction as principle, it's now conviction of others. We get to be judge, jury, and executioner of other people. Rigid people tend to be that way. Third one down, with rigid. With rigid people, results are the only thing that matters. That's it. Just, just what exactly did you do? They're, they're just obsessive about results. Like the dishes need to be lined a certain way. That is all that matters. But look at the disciplined one. Aligning intention with action is what actually matters. That is known as integrity. So what the results exactly look like doesn't matter so much. But can I align intention with action? That's what, can I, can I have that kind of integrity in my life? Folks, with Frank Mink's story, what happened to the piece of antique furniture? What did he do with it? He broke it, Right? See, if, if, if Keith, his boss, was totally concerned that results were the only thing that matters, and here a guy goes and he, he spills the marble off of the top of an antique piece of furniture, which they don't make a lot of. There aren't like spare marble stores for that stuff. If results that was all that mattered to Keith, what would he have done at that moment? Fired him. Results are what matters, you're out. But you can see something far bigger grace there where there's an aligning of intention and action. Like, like the intention to reach out, the intention to connect the, connect, the intention to help. And so his actions reflect that. That was the biggest end. That was the biggest connection. And the last two, boy, these are big. Can we say that the three on the bottom left together? Enslaved to control. Oh, boy. Rigid people are enslaved to control. And, and, and some days I think email and texting has made that even worse. Because control can just like filter out where, where we really try to orchestrate not only our own lives, but everyone else's lives. And now we have our own little multimedia empire to do it from. Isn't that challenging? But look at what the breathtaking 
other option is. Please say it with me. Anchored in surrender. Two very, very, very different perspectives there, folks. We need to look at these kinds of things with that starting point. And we need, we need to, try to, try to try to see how this shows up in our lives and, and, and try to think, okay, how do I move to being more and more disciplined and really try to like let the rigidity go? The rigidity actually can serve us. And, and I don't want to, you know, we were talking about this in sermon writing team. It's so easy to kind of go, you got the, you got the bad list on the left and the, and the good list on the right. And, and in, a, in a certain sense, that's true. I mean, I want to be around disciplined people. I'm not that interested in being around rigid people except for myself. Um, but we have to, you know, we, we have to be able to think about moving that direction. And we have to get folks that these two are actually one. Ready? I mean, this is kind of crazy. This is kind of like, this is where God's economy makes no sense to me at all. But it's brilliant. Would you say that Frank Mink, when he was in the midst of his neo-Nazi enthraldom, do you think he was a rigid person? Yes. Scale of 1 to 10, say it all at once. Scale of 1 to 10, he was a? A 12. (laughs) Yeah, he was off the charts. He was so, I mean, how rigid can you get? I mean, how in and out can you get than somebody who has that particular perspective? See, but that, that rigidity, it enabled him to be this, to develop a certain discipline of his life that's made him, again, a leading national spokesman. I mean, it's crazy to think, but if he hadn't been as rigid as what he was, he wouldn't be speaking at New Church Live next week. If he hadn't been as rigid as what he was, he would not be, he would not be introducing Desmond Tutu at the United Nations. For those of you who are biblical scholars, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, going way back to Genesis, where, 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 where God says, look, don't judge what's good and bad in that tree. That was the sin. Because we simply don't know. For those of you who took a picture of this and just, and just texted it to the most rigid person you know, thinking you're going to tell them what to do, bad on you. Bad on you. Be kind of funny, but bad on you. You know, look at it and get like, okay, yeah, you know what, I, I get this, but, but those rigid parts of my life, like that part that's still, folks, that part, the rigid part that still keeps a foot in the boat and two hands over here, that's okay. That's okay. Make friends with that part. And then slowly learn to trust this part. As Anne Lamott said, and I've heard her say it a bunch of times, it's just so well said. You know, not, no, nothing that she ever gave up control over. Well, she should say it differently. Everything she ever gave up control with left her hands with claw marks on them. And, and, and I think that's, that's true. It's not easy to do that. But, but we can get, okay, there's this rigid part that wants to stay in the boat, but maybe, maybe, maybe I can just start to make some changes to shift a little way. So with this starting point, with this starting point, the takeaway I want to offer to you folks is this. Could we say it really loud, the first three? Trust, trust the call. And the last one, get out of the Trust the call, get out of the boat.
Figure out some way this week just to, just to trust the call a little bit. Again, like I, I know in our faith journeys, I know for the first time attendees, it's terrifying to be here. It's terrifying to think of actually having a disciplined spiritual life. It, it's terrifying to think of showing up. It's terrifying to, to think of, of what my friends say. It's ter- terrifying to think about, well, what does this look like? Or, you know, I know I'm off next Monday, but, you know, going to feed homeless people. Ah, you know, if you have a little call, maybe you don't yet, that's fine. One leg in the boat with two hands, fine. Listen to that part. But if you have any inkling for this other foot that's starting to get touched with the water and you're starting to get that the water will hold you, listen. Listen. Take the courage to just take that first step. It's not the end of the journey, but it may be the beginning. Confucius said this, the hardest step in a journey is the first one. The hardest step in a journey is the first one. But what a great starting point. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer. I'm gonna offer a prayer. Then you have the opportunity to say the Lord's prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection or to offer your own prayer. And after the prayer, I'd ask you to stand up and sing with us as we close the service with a great song. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for bringing us here together today, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to consider, to turn over in our heads how we hold rules. And maybe, Lord, ways in which we can hold rules in a different way. Understanding that the A student is not about the rigid part, but about the disciplined part that we want to give breath and life to. That the disciplined part is not there to squash us or to kill us or to rule us. That that call is there to free us. To free who we really are. To free the part of us that was made in your image and likeness. The God spark within that part tethered to heaven now and for all eternity. The original blessing. Let us live there. Let us pull that out as we move forward in what can be very stormy waters. And Lord, as we close today's service, Paris, breathe into our hearts courage, Lord. Courage not just to talk about a different world or just look at the news and critique a world, but Lord, courage to create a different world in your name as best we can, imperfect, dull tools and all. Let us do that. Let us bring that into the world. A disciplined form, peace, love, compassion, able to grieve with the incredible losses that nation has experienced and is experiencing, and able to breathe at the same time into a currently unimagined future of grace. Be with this amazing congregation, Lord, this week. One boat, one step, one call.
Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. See you next week.